You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. I have uh, a ton of experience with medicine. I use it. I give it to my children. Um, I know where to find it at CVS or Walgreens. I've witnessed plenty of live births, probably more than most people in this room. Um, I've seen a ton of blood and nearly pass out even at the drop of blood. I've seen a few episodes in my day of Doc McStuffins. You could say that Sean is an expert with medicine, but you wouldn't, right? If you needed a diagnosis or you needed surgery, you wouldn't come to me. You'd go to Dr. Britt, right? Or somebody like that. By the way, pray for her. She has the flu. You'd go to an expert. I have a lot of opinions and ask my wife, I can argue pretty well, actually. I've seen the show Suits, I've seen Law and Order, but I, if you need a lawyer, if you need something taken to court, you're not going to come to me. You're going to go to Ryan or Courtney Green, right? Actual lawyers, professionals, experts. And I was thinking about, okay, what am I an expert at? As a dad, I can change a diaper with one hand under 15 seconds if the conditions are right. I can put a pack and play up and down in 10 seconds. I've actually timed this because I I take pride in little things like that that are strange. But still, even as a dad, I am no expert when it comes to motherhood, which is just a totally different thing. If you need advice about motherhood, there's plenty of experts in the crowd here today that you could go to, all of which don't think that they're experts, but they all actually are, and they know what they're talking about. My point is this, if you are going to get advice about something, pick your topic, it doesn't matter what it is, you're gonna go find an expert on the topic, right? Hopefully. Some of us will just, I mean, Facebook is full of experts, so we just look there for everything we need to know, right? We go find an expert for good reason because they carry a different kind of authority than an amateur or someone who's seen a few episodes of a show that has to do with that profession, right? You go to them because they have reliable knowledge and authority to talk, yes, to talk about the things we're talking about. So let me ask you this. Who do you go to about being a good person? Who's the expert? Who has personal knowledge about the good? Who has the authority to teach about what a good person is? Now, seriously, let's ask this question and put up all of those venues and spaces and and news outlets and social media platforms that all have something to say about what it is to be a good person. And let's look at all of them and say, is there authority here to speak about being... Are these people 100% good people? Are they the authorities in what it means to be a good person? Do they have expert, not just amateur, but expert knowledge of what it means to be a good person? Well, Sean, I mean, nobody's a good person totally, but we can still teach about being a good person, right? We wouldn't accept that answer in any other field or any other profession. Well, I'm mostly a lawyer. Trust me, don't worry about your open heart surgery. I'm mostly a doctor. I'm mostly a mother. That doesn't even make sense. You either are or you're not, right? There's no mostly. If you're not the real deal, the best you can do is give advice, right? 
If you're not 100% the expert in the thing, the best you can do is give advice. But imagine coming in contact with a truly good person. Let's imagine actually meeting someone who is not just mostly, but is actually a truly good person, who teaches what it is to be a good person. That teaching would be different, wouldn't it? Than someone who is just giving advice. That teaching would be real. It'd be authoritative. You could tell that this was coming from a personal knowledge, an expert perspective about what it means to be a good person. And I know what all you're thinking right now. Well, Sean, that's your job, right? You're the, you're the expert in being a good person. You're not, no, that's wrong. It's totally wrong. I'm not an expert on being a good person. You can ask my wife um, for plenty of examples. I've got, in fact, plenty of people in my life who, hey, make sure I know when I misstep and I'm not a good person. Like, I got plenty of those people. And I'm so grateful to God for all of those people in my life. And no offense, folks, but you guys aren't really the world's experts on being a good person either. I mean, right? I mean, I love you and you're nice people. But there's, we're talking about being a good person, not just being a nice person. We're talking about being a truly good person. And if you want to see how bad it's got with humanity, look at the rest of the world. Look at our country on a massive scale and ask, are like these good people? we got plenty of examples to prove otherwise. Fair enough. So we have a dilemma. Who can we turn to then to learn how to actually be a good person? Who has the authority and the expert knowledge? Well, you all think you know what I'm going to say. And that's it. That is what I'm going to say. Jesus, of course. Let's, but just check this out. Continuing his sermon on the plane, I, I want to get a fresh hearing for this. And having just healed a bunch of people, which is not a bad start for the credentials of a good person, okay? Having taught, like about to teach, healing a ton of people, Jesus describes the life of a truly good person. But only to a few who are willing to listen. He says this. Did you notice this? He goes out of his way to say, you that listen... I'm going to teach you something here about being a good person. Listen and see if you agree. Let me read a couple of verses for us. Verse 27 in Luke 6 says this. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Man, this sounds really good for someone else to do. You know, I should make sure I, I take notes on this sermon because so, I, I can give this to somebody who really needs it. I'm going to forward this podcast to my friend. This isn't so much for me, but man, this would be great for someone else to apply in their lives, right? I'm the only one that thinks that? Okay. I've observed, um, if we observe someone who actually lived this, what I just read out, who took this seriously and lived it out, we would say, that's really beautiful, but how impractical. How, how crazy, how radical is that? But still we would say how merciful, how gracious. To love your enemies, who does that? To do good, to bless, pray for others. Man, what a beautiful teaching. There's no way we could pull that off, right? If you think that might be hard for us to hear, imagine the disciples around Jesus when he's teaching this. Because I bet you they're thinking something like, they're hearing this, love the Romans who oppress and mock you. Do good by them. Bless them. The Romans? Pray for them. 
I'm sure even the disciples thought, this is, this is a really tough teaching in the real world. Who can actually live out something like this, an ethic like this in such a violent and cruel world? And just when you'd think maybe Jesus is going to lighten up a little bit, he corners us even more and he doubles down. Look at verse 29. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If we treated our enemies this way, if we actually lived this way, wouldn't we just all die poor socialists, pacifists, alone? Wouldn't we? You'd think, like, that's why we don't do this. Maybe, you know what, maybe we can just love those who deserve our love. Maybe we can just invest our lives in those who we can trust, won't abuse us, and won't just take from us. Not so fast. Verse 32 through 34, Jesus discredits even that idea. True goodness isn't determined by what it gets in return. It is just, in fact, good for the sake of others. Grace is disinterested in an ROI, finance people. How unsustainable. There is no interest rate on kindness. We may not get anything back in return. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be a good person, this is how you should live. What Jesus is describing here as a good person is someone who refuses to retaliate to violence. They offer forgiveness instead of judgment. This sounds really sweet, doesn't it? They don't expect anything in return, but they entrust all of their life and even the lives of other people around them who might be cruel and violent, they entrust all of that to God's good purposes. Interesting advice. I think if we're all really honest, the best we could say about this is that's really cool and interesting. But again, back to our question, who can teach this as someone who has not only done it one time or like we had a good run, you know, but someone who has thoroughly mastered the craft of this good person life. Who can teach this? Who has the authority? Because if we don't ask that question, this piece of advice is merely advice. And not only that, friends, this kind of teaching, apart from someone who is actually good, is really dangerous. It's just an ideology, a concept that we would imagine the people in power, those who are powerful, would use to manipulate those who are weak and poor to cooperate with their agenda of oppression. Don't fight back. This is our way of power. Be, be a good person. We're in control. You guys just submit. You could see how this kind of an ideology would, would be awful in the hands of not good people. Unless, and this is probably the biggest unless in this entire sermon, unless the one teaching is truly good, and if and only if the one teaching this teaching has personal expert knowledge about goodness, not only that, but also and a plan for how that good person will thrive, a purpose in their life, unless that is the one teaching this advice is merely advice and it's often dangerous advice. But what if the person giving us this teaching is truly Good, like one of a kind, thoroughly, completely good. 
What if? Well, if you've spent any time reading the stories of Jesus and his life lately, you'll see who he is, what he did, how he overthrew the most powerful empires in all of human history and opened up the good life for everyone. That's the person teaching this. You would see a story of a man who lived a truly good life. And when we do, when we see Jesus and not just his teaching separate from his person, when we see both together, we see that this isn't just self-help advice. Jesus is describing himself. This is an autobiography of sorts, a self-description. You want me to describe to you a good person? Let me tell you about myself. Is essentially what Jesus is doing. Now think about this. Follow with me here. If to be a good person is to hear about Jesus' self, then maybe to be a good person is to be like Jesus. Maybe you disagree with that. I know good people who don't know Jesus, of course. But still I'd say they share in a characteristic of his life. Jesus is the only one that we have to look to for this truly, completely fulfilled, genuinely good person. And if it's not that him, who else? Who else do we have in all of human history that we can look to and say, now that person without flaw, without objection, good person. Who else do we have if not him? Even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not the religious type, you can still look at the life of Jesus. And if you haven't, you should look at the life of Jesus and say, wow, how good, how beautiful. Who else was betrayed by his closest brothers? Like our reading in Genesis about like Joseph. Who else was handed over to suffering and death, had every right to be angry with the wicked, had every right to crush the powerful because he was full of power. But instead of all of that, like the Psalm describes, entrusted himself to the Lord and actually loved his enemies. Who else has done that but Jesus? So much so that while they were still his enemies, Jesus died for his enemies. Man, how good does this go? That they would receive forgiveness and life. Who else faced the entire arsenal of evil and death and hell and yet never once compromised good? Healing people, gathering those who were rejected and cast out and didn't belong with the rest of us. And nevertheless, always without relenting, announcing that the goodness of the kingdom of God is here to stay even to the point of great suffering and death, this was his message. This was his life. Well, Sean, I know that's Jesus, but that's just not us, right? That's our next move. Am I in your head at all or is this just me? I feel like sometimes I'm just showing you like my internal dialogue. But I know some of you understand this. You get this. You're tracking with me. That's Jesus. That's not us. Jesus was Jesus. We're only human. We're only human. What does that even mean? It, for us, it means, well, we make mistakes. But what if that is completely wrong? What if to be merely human is to be like Jesus? We, what if we're just the smeared image of humanity? And in him, we see what it actually means to be human. What if in Jesus, we don't see a superhuman, but someone truly human? Yes, he is God. 
Yes, he is man, but he is truly human. Someone truly good, showing us how life was meant to be done. Jesus does human the way human was meant to be done. Does that make sense? What if we have just so lost ourselves? What if we've lost sight of that image that we know we have been branded with, each and every one of us, made in the image of God and his goodness that we've just somehow along the way lost sight of, lost track of. Sin has stained us, blinded us. This is why Jesus was sent for us, that our sight would be restored, that we would be healed, that that smeared image would be recovered, that we would be set free and enabled to live good lives like him, with him. This is why Jesus was sent, to recover that God stamp on each and every one of you. And if you think there's not a God stamp on you, you're wrong. I'm just telling you, you're all made in the image of God. And he loves you. And he sent his son to restore that image in you and bring you back home to a life with God. This isn't just my opinion. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, he makes this really shocking claim. Did you hear this? There's, there's always like with readings, you know, like, inter, like baby noises and stuff. So sometimes we miss little pieces or whatever, and that's fine because we love our children and they, they need to hear the readings as well. That's fine. Um, hallelujah. But we may, I think we may have missed this in, in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus is the man of heaven who has become like us so that we would become like him is basically what that reading said. So when we say, well, that's Jesus. Well, do you know that he's become like us, that we would become like him? That can't be our excuse. Not only that, but he invites us to spend so much time with him that we learn the craft of living as a good person. We learn his ways. We watch him. We spend time with him. We pick up his language. We pick up his postures and his practices, his impulses. So that when your enemies provoke you at work, y'all know what I'm talking about? When others take from you, when your generosity is taken for granted or abused, we don't have our old way, but we have a new way that we're so familiar with that we've seen Jesus do that now becomes our muscle memory. We can live with him, by him, through him in these ways. We don't have to have, for instance, the last word in an argument because we've seen a new way. Yes, everyone else has to have the last word. Yes, that's how the world disciples us and demonstrates to us what it looks like to be a person in power. And that's okay, they can do that. But for us who have been with Jesus, we don't have to have the last word anymore. We don't have to have everything our own way on our terms when we want it, how we like it. Can you imagine getting a food order and it being wrong and you just saying, that's all right. Can you imagine your kid getting fouled in some sport instead of yelling at the referees? You thought, I hope he's okay. Can you imagine being those kinds of people who are genuinely good in real life every day, wherever we are, instead of being these like really irritated, entitled people? Jesus can teach us these things. Can you imagine being pleasant people when we don't get what we want? Friends, if there was a whole community of people like this, announcing the gospel would be no sweat, right? Because people would see in us, wow, Jesus, the goodness of God, 
One of the reasons I um, admire and I think I, I, heroes of table group leaders is because, and we were just talking, we had this, our class this morning for table group leaders, our second week, we have one more week. One of the reasons I admire our table group leaders is because they are the vanguards of this kind of way of life opening up their homes, not expecting really that maybe even people might come or putting out food and cleaning their house, preparing a space for others that a lot of people will just come and go, wow, this is nice and kind of take it for granted. But what's in it for them is a totally joyous gift. They know that they're working with Jesus to love these people. They're my heroes. They're putting the needs of other people before their own in real life practicing, not just reading it in the Bible or storing it somewhere in your head, but actually practicing this kind of generosity, this hospitality of Jesus for others. Sometimes the people that walk into table group leaders' homes are tough people. Imagine that. People who would take and take and take, and our leaders continue to give and give and give, entrusting themselves to the Lord. And all the while, if you find a table group leader, go ask them about this. All the while, they're joyful. They're like happy to do it. They love it. There's something about the good life that they've accessed by mimicking Jesus as the good person and walking with him and learning to serve others like him. In practicing the goodness of God, they actually get a share in the goodness of God. That's how it works. It's amazing. Belonging to Jesus isn't a credential that only benefits us when we die, friends. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to go to hell. Praise God. There's, there's so much missing in that view of belonging to Jesus. To be saved by Jesus is to be saved to Jesus now. Discipleship with Jesus happens in the space that you're living in right now, not just sometime later. Salvation is not an afterlife with Jesus. It's a whole life with Jesus now, right where we are, right now. And in this space where we are right now, we're, giving, we're given everything we need to live that good life with him. The forgiveness of sins, we're given this. The nourishment by his body and blood, we're given this. The deposit of his Holy Spirit, his leading, his discernment, we're given all of this to live with him. And so we can say salvation has come and we get to live with him. So friends, I ask as we come forward to receive the body and blood of Jesus, as we get on our knees to confess our sins, may we have in view this view of the, of the good person's life that Jesus is so willing to teach us about. Maybe today you'll respond and saying, Lord, I've, I've kind of made excuses or I've put this off in certain ways in my life, but I really genuinely want to participate with you teaching me about the good life that you have for me. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.